Good morning. It's nice to see all of you today. If you're visiting with us, we're especially pleased with your presence and uh, look forward to seeing you again. We've got a few announcements that we'll want to uh, make before we get into the lesson. Um, we're, our efforts to help our brothers and sisters and neighbors in the Bahamas is ongoing, and so um, uh, we will be updating that list. But if you have donations you would like to make, uh, you may do so either online or uh, in a check you can uh, put uh, in the memo for Bahamas Relief, or if you have a cash donation, you can give it directly to one of the elders or uh, a minister. But we're going to continue to help. Uh, I talked this last week with some some brothers who are uh, working in the Bahamas and helping support, and, uh, and, and the work is really just now starting. It's going to be a long haul. And, uh, and we're going to do whatever we can to walk alongside these friends of ours and neighbors uh, to the east. Uh, this afternoon we have the fall festival, and so uh, everyone is invited to enjoy a nice sunny fall afternoon in Miami if the rain holds off. Um, it'll start at 5 o'clock. There'll be all kinds of games and goodies, and so uh, we invite everyone to make it back uh, out in the back um, uh, pasture area in the pavilion. Uh, last week, Catherine and I, last Sunday uh, weekend, Catherine and I were um, uh, spending a little time stomping around her uh, stomping grounds, as it were, in Michigan. And then I had a speaking engagement in Chicago, and I appreciate Max's lesson last week, uh, uh, dealing about talking about how we can find strength in the midst of, of weakness. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, you can find it on our website, uh, sunsetmiami.org. Um, You know, there's, there's so many situations that require strength. Sometimes we just stumble. Um, this afternoon at 2.30, we'll have the memorial service for the only son of one of our sisters, uh, Esther uh, Novas. Uh, yesterday morning, early, we got the news that Paula Salinas, uh, the mother of um, uh, Julio Mendoza, and Araceli Mendoza and other siblings passed away. And, and sometimes the, 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 the world out there is so dark and heavy. And sometimes it feels like it takes so much energy to drag yourself out of bed, to drag yourself or drag the comb through your hair and do what you have to do to, to make it. Sometimes it seems like it's just more work than it's worth. Sometimes we just get tired. We get tired of church. We get tired in church. And it's not just, you know, if the sermon's a little bit off or the preacher's a little bit off, the sermon's a little bit long, or, or the song leader's not hitting all the right notes. So sometimes it's this weariness that kind of just, what are we doing here? Does it even matter? What good is all of this? I mean, Netflix has a whole lot better drama than happens at church, even though sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Television has more interesting stories. The local Applebee's probably has friendlier people. Not necessarily probably, but possibly. The park or the beach has a much nicer view. 
Sleeping at home is much more restful than the 20, 30 minutes you might get during the sermon here on Sunday morning. And so it's like, so does it really matter? Why am I here? And, and, and is anybody going to miss me? And does it really affect my life if I'm not? Well, to help us think through what we're doing here, uh, we're beginning a new series today. It'll be a short series, four lessons. The title of the series I borrowed from one of John Mark Hicks' book, um, one of his books, uh, uh, A Gathered People. Because that's what, who we are today. We are a gathered people. We are an assembly of God's children and what's happening here today is happening on so many different levels and so many different perspectives. And so we're going to spend four weeks thinking through those different perspectives. Uh, today we're going to think about kind of the perspective of looking up and worshiping God and drawing near to God. And what does that mean for our assembly today? Uh, next week we're going to talk about this aspect of reaching out to our neighbor, uh, evangelism. We have a altar call. It's not what we call it, but that's how it started, an invitation song. Uh, why do we do that, and what's the purpose of that? The third week, I will be out of town. My dad's having his 90th birthday party, and so we're going to go up to D.C. and celebrate with him, and Robert Hall will be filling in for me. And that third week, and Paul Rowland, by the way, if you're interested and he speaks Spanish and you'd like to hear him, not to, well, Robert's not here, so he doesn't know, uh, not to disparage Robert, but if you speak Spanish, Paul Rowland will be giving the lesson in the Spanish assembly that morning, and so uh, you can enjoy that. But the emphasis will be on uh, how this assembly serves to strengthen one another. How do we edify one another, our brothers and sisters, in this assembly? And then the last lesson, uh, right before the Blessed to be a Blessing and Thanksgiving, uh, the Sunday before uh, the Blessed to be a Blessing, will be looking forward. How do we model and teach the value of what we do here to our children? How do we instruct them? How do we guide them? How do we convince them that this is something that's important? So I invite you to take a deep breath and kind of center yourself. Let me pray, and then we'll think about what does this assembly do for our relationship with the Father. Father, thank you for the opportunity, for the invitation to draw near to you today. We all are dealing with something. Sometimes it's perhaps little stuff, sometimes it's really, really heavy stuff. But we're here. And we offer you the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of our lives. We offer you our hearts. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence in a special way this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Hebrews, we're going to look at two different texts in the book of Hebrews. The first is in chapter 10. Many think that the book of Hebrews was a sermon. And as we get close to the end, uh, chapter 10 is getting close to the end of the 13 chapters. Uh, Paul begins, uh, Paul, some people think it's Paul, but the author th begins to kind of draw together some conclusions You've perhaps heard the uh, uh, the catchy little phrase, when you see a therefore, ask what's it there for. 
And, and what the author has been doing for ten chapters has been basically hammering the point that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better. Uh, he is a better mediator. He is a better sacrifice. Uh, Jesus is the better mediator of a better covenant. And that pact that we have with God through Jesus is better than what Moses could have offered through the blood of bulls and goats. And so everything through Jesus is better but we get to chapter 10 and we ask the question, so, okay, so what? Now what? And so he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, all of us together as a group, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, for us Gentiles, we read that and it's like, oh yeah, wow, okay, the most holy place. But if you were a Jew in the first century hearing this, you, you might begin to get very nervous and anxious because no one goes into the most holy place except one person one time a year, the high priest. It's not in the Bible, but rabbinic tradition suggests that there was a fear or a possibility that the high priest, once he was back behind that curtain, could die. So they would attach a bell to his clothing so they could hear it if he was moving and they wrapped a rope around him so that in the event that the bell stopped tinkling and he died because he was in the presence of God that they could pull him out. Because no one was allowed to go in even to retrieve a corpse. And it would sit there for a year until the next high priest would go in. But the Hebrew writer says that brothers and sisters and all of us, we have confidence to go on the other side of the curtain. Remember one of our last sermons in the book of Mark when Jesus died, the temple, the, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And many feel that it was the curtain leading into this most holy place, the place where God himself would appear. But now we have confidence. We don't have fear, but we have confidence to enter in by a new and living way opened up through us, through the curtain that is his body, his death. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. We, we, we don't... shy away from the curtain because of the danger. We have confidence to enter. When we were working in Argentina, one of my teammates was a Vietnam vet. He had lost a part of his arm. For the most part, he was a pretty nice guy, but he probably was dealing with his own PTSD. In one of our, we would have weekly meetings 
mostly business, but sometimes we actually talked about our hearts. And one morning, this brother <coughs> begins to cry. Because he had had, he and his wife had had a precious little baby girl. Just the sweetest thing. Chubby cheeks, dimples, just all that neat stuff that girls have, right? And I don't know what their home life looked like when no one else was there, but he said that something had happened the day before that rocked him to his core. He wanted to reach over to pet her head and rub her hair, and, and she put up her hands. And he realized that she was afraid of him. He said, I, I, I didn't hit her, but I would talk to her very sternly. But the reaction was that she was afraid of her daddy. I, I don't know how you grew up in your relationship with God, but a lot of people grew up with a fear of God, a terror. And Jesus comes to rip that false perception of God into shreds. And he comes to say, you don't have to be afraid of entering into God's presence. That doesn't give us an arrogance, but it gives us a confidence that we're in the presence of someone who cares for us and loves us. It says we enter in with this full assurance that our faith has in who God is and we've had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have experienced the renewal that comes through baptism. And therefore we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds and we don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. In the ancient world, Sunday was not a holiday. And if you were a servant or you were a slave, Sunday was a work day. And if you wanted to worship God, you did so at daybreak before you went to work and you did so at the end of the day when you got off. And it would have been easy to say, oh, man, I'm just tired. Life is just too hard. I think I'll pass. And you can pass one Sunday, which leads to another Sunday. Statistics indicate that the average church-going person in the United States goes maybe twice a month. And our statistics here kind of bear that out. There's just so much other stuff. And sometimes I'm just not convinced. Well, well, to help us understand just what we're talking about, in chapter 12, verses 18 and following, the Hebrew writer is going to make this contrast. This contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. 
you know, I don't know how you feel about these heavy-duty, big-time boomer thunderstorms we get down here in South Florida. I, I kind of like them. They're spooky enough that, now, my house has never been hit by lightning, and so once I have my house hit by lightning, it blows out all my computers and my TV, and, uh, and it starts a fire in a tree that's next to the house, then I, I might think about it differently. But right for now, I'm still kind of fascinated and like many of you, we live out west, 157th Avenue, just 20 blocks from Chrome. And you can see it and you can hear it and the rumbling builds. And you can feel it when those big thunder, uh, thunder claps of thunder come and it shakes the house and it sets off the alarms and the cars. And you see the lightning this is a joke about Argentines. There, there's a lot of them. Do, do you know why Argentines go outside and look at the sky and smile when there's lightning? Because they think God is taking a picture of them. Well, I kind of like to go outside when it's lightning. Until then, I read the statistics that Florida has more death by lightning strike than any other state. And I thought, you know, that's not real smart. Let me at least make sure my life insurance policy is up to date. But it's just kind of fascinating yet scary. Well, the people of Israel, when they drew near to God on that day of assembly at Mount Sinai, there was nothing fascinating about it. It was pure, sheer terror. Burning like a volcano. Dark, dark clouds, strong winds, thunder and trumpet and the voice of God so strong that they actually prayed that God would stop talking. And, and so here's the contrast. You, plural, all of us together, we have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire. We have not come to darkness, gloom, and storm. We have not come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This man who looked and spoke with God face to face was shaking in his boots because of the sheer terror of God's presence. Now, we know that God's purpose was not to scare people. But this terror was part of his holiness. And there was nothing to mitigate that holiness and that pure, raw holiness. And it resulted in such a distance between us and God. And then the, the writer continues in, in verses 22 and following. He says, we haven't gone to that mountain. People have lived there for a long time, but not us. We have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We have come to the presence of God himself. We have entered, when we come into this sacred assembly, we have entered holy ground. Not because this building is sacred, because during the week and any other time, it's just cement and carpet and wood. But it is sacred now because God is here. And the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion couldn't be more stark. Because what was sheer terror is now a welcoming, cleansing presence of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we enter in our assembly into God's presence. Now, God is, omnis- God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And yes, we are in God's presence at any point, day or night, anywhere we are. But the Hebrew writer is saying that something happens when the people gather. And John Mark shared a lesson a couple of years back when he was here and he's developed the theme a little bit more in depth in his book, a gathered people. But he suggests that understanding what Hebrew writer is saying is that when we gather together, we're here physically, but we're being transported spiritually to that heavenly city. We come to the city of God. And we're surrounded by the angels. Thousands upon thousands of angels who all day and all night proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And so when we lift up our feeble voices and maybe we're out of tune and maybe it's a bit raspy and maybe it doesn't sound so good, in God's presence in this heavenly assembly, our voices are being drowned out by the thousands and thousands of voices of angels. And angels aren't the only one who are in the presence of the throne. Jesus is there, but also the, the church of the firstborn, those whose names are written in the book of life. And so when we gather, we are gathered into his presence. And so we come in whatever state we find ourselves in. And we bring God our brokenness. And we look for him to turn our sadness into joy, our mourning into dancing, our tears into smiles. Our discouraged and downtrodden souls are picked up by this great cloud of witnesses who urge us on. There's a tension between how much we do for us 
and how much we do for God, but the point of these verses is that when we enter into his presence, he's doing for us. He is ministering to us. He is allowing us to be strengthened by his presence. And we'll talk about in later lessons the value of edifying one another. But today, I just want to have that image in our mind that in this assembly, we're on Mount Zion, the city of the living God, worshiping him with all of the saints, past, present, and future. In the presence of God, Jesus, and all the heavenly host. And so when I come, I don't come to check off a list of five things. When I come, I come to be ministered to by God's presence. I come to be strengthened by him, to be cleansed and purified. Because every day, my compass gets a little out of whack. If you have a GPS system in your car, uh, you've probably had to calibrate it if you've got a brand new car, or sometimes if it is off a little bit. And, and you know the way to do it, right? You hold the button, and then you drive in circles until the car can figure out where north is, and then it zeroes in on true north, and then your car is fixed. It'll tell you when you're going north, east, west, south. For me, this assembly and this gathering does that. It helps me figure out where north is. You see, during the week, I can get kind of full of myself, and I can get kind of overcome by stuff, and I can think it's all on me. And I need to come into the presence of God for him to calibrate me and say, no, Jim, you're a little bit off, or you're a lot of off. I, I need to sit alongside of you in God's presence and allow the, the, the sharing of communion and the songs and the prayers and, and, and the message and the word to... Get me back on track. And so, yes, the assembly is for me, but not individually. It's for us together, collectively. And while anyone can enter into our building and our pews and join the assembly, only those who have been washed and who have been purified and who have been cleansed are able to experience that otherworldly experience. And so if you haven't made that decision, we would love to help you with that. If you need the prayers of people today for your brokenness, for your struggle, for whatever situation you're going, we would like to pray with you and for you. But more than anything... I just want to thank you that you're here. Because you joining with the other saints and the saints in the other room and the saints throughout this building today are helping us to experience God's presence in a very, very special way. If we can help you, please make your way to the front as we stand and sing.